Good morning. You can probably hear in my voice that I have a bit of a cold this morning. Things have not gone as planned as life usually goes, right? Uh, so I appreciate your patience. I must have had a little too much fun at Vacation Bible School this week. So, I don't know. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn along with me to Colossians chapter 3. We will enjoy our time in the Word nonetheless, for it's a great passage of encouragement and a great setup to the Lord's table, which we'll enjoy together in just a moment. This morning, we're going to be looking at the importance of the Christian's mindset. What dominates your thinking? What is your thought life like? What are the, what's the nature of the internal dialogue that you have daily inside your head that no one else hears? And by the way, aren't you glad no one else hears it? They might lock us up, right? That guy's crazy. Oftentimes, we let our thoughts run loose. We're like, with our thoughts, we're like that permissive parent that somehow thinks that letting their child do whatever they want to do is best for them, when in fact we know that's not what's best for children. They need structure. They need rules. They need boundaries to flourish, and our thoughts are the same way. We can't just let them run wild and run rampant and do whatever they want. They have to be constrained by truth and reality. As we'll see this morning, the key to our growth as Christians and to our battle against sin and the flesh begins with our mindset, the orientation of our thought life, the focus of our minds. Paul has just made clear to the Colossian believers that this new philosophy and empty deception that was being peddled among them had no value against fleshly indulgence. That's how chapter 2 ends. It's like battling a blazing forest fire with a squirt gun and hoping to make gains. This new and empty philosophy promised much but delivered very little. And as we'll see this morning, what was needed in their battle against the flesh was not more man-made rules or angelic fascinations or religious experiences or heavenly visions even, What was needed was a right understanding of and regular appropriation of the gospel. The gospel. A focus upon Christ's person and work is our greatest aid in growing us in Christ and in battling sin. So let me read for us from Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through Colossians 3, 1. Therefore, 
Paul says, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that in the midst of our weakness is your strength. We thank you, Lord, that your word is strong and powerful and living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is able to do in us what uh, mere discussion and talking is unable to do. Lord, we pray that your spirit would use your word rightly in our lives today to divide the indivisible, to remove the unremovable, to clean up what could never be cleaned up on our own. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word and the power of your spirit operating in our lives. We open ourselves up to you today as our Lord and maker. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want us to see three mindset strategies for growing in Christ and battling sin. Three mindset strategies for growing in Christ and battling sin. You want to grow in Christ? You want to battle sin more effectively than think rightly about Christ? First of all, set your mind on Christ above. The first step in growing in Christ-likeness and growing in effectiveness against sin is to set our mind On Christ above. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. With the word therefore here, Paul transitions away from the false teachers and their false teachings that were going on at Colossae, and he focuses their attention back on the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Since the solutions that were being put forward by the false teachers were powerless and ineffective and of no value against fleshly indulgence, Paul points them to the source of all true Christian strength and effectiveness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, look, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Now, once again, Paul uses a first-class conditional clause, which assumes the condition to be true. He used the same kind of sentence back in chapter 2 and verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to, 
to uh, submit yourself to decrees. Okay, If you have died with Christ, and I know that you have, same kind of sentence here, therefore if you have been raised up with Christ, and I know that you have, you've died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. The Christian has indeed been raised up with Christ. By faith in Jesus, we Christians have been spiritually united with him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. As Christ rose from the dead, victorious over death and sin, so by faith the Christian too has, through spiritual union with Christ, been raised from the dead and is therefore victorious over death and sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ secured and introduced the new era, the new reign of the victorious kingdom of God. A kingdom which is already present and yet not in, yet not in its final glory, in its final form, in its final fullness and fruition. So the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. And as that is true generally, so it is true in our own lives. The Christian is already, but not yet. The Christian is already a new creation, but not yet glorified and fully like Christ, as we one day will be. In holiness, we are already spiritually united with Christ in his resurrection, but not yet glorified. Paul has already made clear that the Christian enjoys a spiritual union with Christ in his resurrection. Again, Colossians 2, 12 and 13. Listen to this. Look there with me if you would. Just back a few verses. Colossians 2, 12 and 13. Having been buried with him, with Christ, in baptism. Baptism, not here being water baptism, but being spiritual baptism. Spiritually immersed in Christ, united with him. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. So we have been united with Christ in his death. We've been united with Christ in his burial, and we've now been united with Christ in his resurrection unto life. As Christians, we who were once dead in our sins, by faith in Jesus, have been made to spiritually live now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That parallel letter, the cousin letter, to Colossians is Ephesians. And Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 says this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, Christ made us alive 
God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only have we been resurrected unto spiritual life with Christ, we have ascended spiritually with Christ and we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. That's our spiritual position. That's our spiritual reality. That is the type of thing we are to set our minds on. To consider, to meditate upon, to reflect upon regularly. So the new order of spiritual life has been inaugurated with the resurrection of Jesus and we have been united with Christ in his resurrection and his ascension so that we really share in his resurrection. We have been raised up with Christ. Since this is true, since we have indeed been raised up with Christ, what should we do? Keep seeking the things above, Paul says. Keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Christ should always be our focus. Always in our thoughts. Always in our mind. Keep on seeking things above. Keep your focus on Christ. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Ignore the shiny objects that vie for our attention. Don't look for new tips or tricks, new revelations, new rules, new experiences that will help you spiritually. That's not where the power is. That's not where true freedom is is found. That's not where the true fullness is acquired. The false teachers were trying to convince these Christians in Colossae that if they really wanted to experience the fullness of God, then they needed to submit themselves to rules and regulations and to special diets and to carefully prescribed lifestyles. They needed to prize the angelic realm and experience heavenly visions. And Paul says, no. These things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And they will not deliver on their promises to experience the fullness of spiritual maturity. So what were these Christians to do? They were to keep on seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God, of course, is the seat of honor, power, and authority. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and he is head over all. He is head over all rule and over all authority, as we've already seen in the book of Colossians. He's head over the church. He's head over angelic beings. Christ is head over all. So why would you waste your time seeking lesser beings 
or waste your energy trying to attain lesser goals or lesser persons than Christ himself. Go to the top. Why mess around with middle management? Right? If you would like to speak to a person, press one. Mm. And we're invited here to do just that, to go to the top. Keep seeking Christ. He's the answer. He's the solution. He should be the source of all of our spiritual needs. We're not just invited to come. In fact, we're commanded. Keep seeking things above. Paul makes this command even clearer in verse 2. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, Paul is not saying here that we are to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Right? Now, I think that gets overused. That's oftentimes used unfairly of, of people who maybe feel a little guilty around someone who's maybe a little more righteous than they are. Well, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. But nevertheless, I don't think Paul is saying that we are to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. He's not saying here that we are to, to neglect real responsibilities that we have here on earth, like work or education or finances or family or friendships or relationships or anything like that. You may remember in Dickens' classic book, Bleak House, there's a notorious character named Mr. Harold Skimpole. I love that name, Skimpole. Think of that. He's skimming things off the top. He's just, he's just leeching off of people. That's who he was. He was a full-grown man, but he acted like a complete child in respect to his responsibilities, and he lived off the kindness, generosity, and wealth of others. Dickens tells, Dickens tells us that he had been afflicted with two of the oldest infirmities in the world. One was that he had no idea of time. Time? What is that? I'm an absolute child when it comes to time. I, I can't understand it. The other, he had no idea of money. Oh, don't bother me with things like money. I have no idea how this works. I'm an absolute child when it comes to money. In consequence of which, he never kept an appointment, never could transact any business, and never knew the value of anything. Skimpole's philosophy of life was this. I only ask to be free. The butterflies are free. Mankind will surely not deny to Harold Skimpole what it concedes to the butterflies. Skimpole did not support his wife and children, but rather relied on the generosities, generosity of others to support and care for them. 
And his constant excuse for his bad behavior and neglect of important matters is his repeated refrain, I'm a child, you know. Now, when Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, he is most definitely not calling us to be a herald skimpole. Paul is not calling us to be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good and that we're neglecting important responsibilities like family and finances and work and other responsibilities that we have. The Bible is clear that if a Christian neglects certain fundamental earthly responsibilities like family or work, that they are worse than an unbeliever. So setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, is not an excuse for neglecting your responsibilities. Let's be clear about that. So what does it mean? Well, setting your mind on things above means setting your mind on Christ, on his person and his work. It means letting the realities of the gospel pervade every other aspect of your life. Letting the truth of the gospel dominate your thought life and influence your decisions, temper your anxieties, challenge your deeply held ideas, setting your mind on the truths of the gospel means setting your mind on the truths of Colossians 1, 15 through 20, that ancient Christian hymn that Paul quoted from in that first chapter, which so clearly and succinctly formulates Christ's identity and his work, to set your mind on something is to be intent on it. It is to consider something carefully, to examine it from every angle, to carefully reflect upon it, to let it dominate your thoughts. And we are to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Our mindset is not to be on man-made rules or lists of do's and don'ts or on visionary experiences or fascination with angels or observing certain days as though these things were the real key to our spiritual breakthroughs. No, the key to our spiritual victory is seated at the right hand of the Father and it is Jesus Christ. We set our minds on Him. He is the key to our spiritual growth and our battle against sin. You ever try to sin while treasuring Christ? Think about that. You can't do it. You can't treasure Christ, set your mind on Christ, and actively give yourself to sin. Doesn't work that way. It's not intended to. 
When faced with temptation, turn to Christ. Set your mind on Christ. Set your mind on the realities of who he is and what he's done. Go back to the gospel. The gospel isn't just for children, you know, with a wordless book. It's great. The gospel's for all of us. Every day. We all need it. Every day. We don't begin with the gospel and move on with lists of rules of do's and don'ts. We begin with the gospel and we continue with the gospel. As you began, Paul says to the Colossians, so continue by faith in Jesus Christ. See, we want to begin by faith and continue with works. No. <laughs> We begin by faith and we continue by faith. Do those faith, do those, does that faith give birth to works? Sure it does. It give, the fruit of faith is good works, for sure. But what we began by faith, we continue by faith, and that faith is centered squarely on the person of Jesus Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father. All right, secondly. Realize your new spiritual identity, position, and power. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. And secondly, realize your new spiritual identity, your spiritual position, and your spiritual power. Verse 3. Paul says there, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now that is a monumental shift in everything nothing is the same that's what Paul's saying there. nothing is the same as it was before you have died it's over the old life is over <laughs> the old ways are done you have died and now your life is hidden in Christ with God The reason why we should set our mind on things above and not on things that are on the earth is because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Again, Paul has in view here our spiritual union with Jesus. By faith, we've been united with Jesus Christ, spiritually united with Jesus in his death so that when Jesus died, we died along with him. And the result of our spiritual union with Christ in his death is that we are no longer what we once were. We're no longer part of the old order, part of the old creation. We're part of the new order now. We're part of the new creation. We have died. And now the life that we live is a life that is hidden with Christ in God. To be hidden here means that we are hidden for safekeeping. We are protected. We're covered. We're tucked away. We are protected with Christ in God. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John 10. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We are doubly kept in the Father's hand, in Christ's hand. Our life is hidden with Christ, united, spiritually united with Christ in God. And we are safe. We are secure. We are held by the power of God himself. Our identity is new, our position is new, and our power over sin is new. Our death to our old life and our new creation in Jesus Christ has resulted in this new identity, a new position, and new power. First, our identity. We are now Christians, followers of Christ. We are one with Christ. Christ is now our life. Christ is in us. The hope of glory. We are new creations. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The new creation order, which began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has already begun working itself out in our lives and will one day finally and fully be worked out when we are glorified with him, as we'll see. So our identity is new. Our position is new in Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've gone from death, spiritual death, unto spiritual life. We've gone from being slaves of sin to being free in Christ. We've gone from the kingdom of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of light. Our power over sin is new. We are no longer powerless against sin, but now can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. We've gone from being on our own in the world to having Christ in us and Christ's power working for us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is a new reality that we live in. Stop thinking that you're the same person you were before. You are not. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do the same old stuff that you've always done. There's a new reality. There's a new sheriff in town. And his name is Christ. And he has all power, all authority. And he's for you. And he's with you. And he's in you. Realize your new spiritual identity, your new spiritual position, and your new spiritual power. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ is our life. Do you view your life that way, Christian? That Christ is your life, the source of your life, the purpose of your life? That's what he is. Thirdly, and finally, hope in the certainty of your glorious future. Verse 4. 
where Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. There's a future day coming when Jesus Christ will return in power and glory. And one of the great results of his glorious return is that the new era that was begun at the cross will be made complete. While we're now living in the already but not yet form of the kingdom, the time is coming when the fullness of God's promises will be fulfilled. And that will include the redemption even of our physical bodies. And I'll never get a cold again. (laughs) Amen, right? No COVID in heaven. No cancer in heaven. He's going to make all things new. Those who have died in the Lord will be resurrected unto life everlasting with renewed bodies, free from sin, free from sickness, free from death. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's a power in knowing where you're headed. There's a hope that gives energy and motivation when you know for certain the outcome is settled. One day our troubles and struggles with sin and sickness and all of this will be over. And we will be like Christ. In World War II, the Germans would drop leaflets filled with all sorts of propaganda, dropping them over the Allied fighters, telling them that the war was lost and that the Germans would be victorious, wanting them to lose hope and morale and give up the fight. Well... God has sent his own messages to us, which are not propaganda, but which are in fact true, and which tell us that God is on our side and that indeed the victory has already been won. The outcome is settled. It is certain. We have been made more than conquerors through Christ. It's only a matter of time now. And that time is determined by God himself. He has purposes in this time that's going on. There is grand divine 
purposes that are being played out in our lives on a minuscule scale and on a macro scale. God has his purposes. And there's a reason he hasn't returned yet. But it's only a matter of time. Which helps us to keep fighting sin in the meantime. Because there is victory, assured victory, certain victory that is ahead. So stay in the fight. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You will share in the glory that is to come, Christian. What a promise. Transformation awaits. Glorification awaits. It's just a matter of time. What is your mindset like? Are you a defeatist? Are you a person that says, as it's been, so it will always be? Or do you realize who resides within you? Go back to chapter 1, read 15 through 20, and realize that that is the Christ who is in you, and he is indeed the hope of glory. That's the first step in gaining ground against sin and in growing in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, fill our minds with you. Great thoughts of you. We can never think too highly of you, Lord Jesus. We can never think too frequently upon your life and ministry. We can never think too deeply of your sacrifice and suffering or of your glory and power. Forgive us, Lord, for being consumed with earthly things, things that we think will help us, things that we think will mature us, that are just a distraction. Help us to set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Lord Jesus, you are immeasurably glorious. And all that we need in this life and in the life to come. Forgive us for seeking other things. Forgive us for filling our life with so many distractions. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you, Jesus Christ. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.